looking forward to being back with you guys because I think it's been three weeks since we've been together. Three. Boo! Thank you. Thank you, Anupriya. I, I agree with that. Three weeks. Well, it is so glad. I'm so glad to be back with you. This crazy Illinois weather has kept us apart, but I'm so glad um, to be back with you tonight. If you were here with us three weeks ago, you know that we kicked off a series called Overboard, where we are making our way all the way through the book of Jonah. It's four chapters, so we were hoping to spend four straight weeks in Jonah, but... Mother Nature had other plans. So today we're going to jump right back into it. So if you weren't here three weeks ago, or if you were, and that seems like forever ago, we're going to give you a quick recap of Jonah chapter one. So in Jonah chapter one, God told Jonah to go preach to the wicked city of Nineveh. Jonah had other plans. He went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, hoping to escape God. But one of the things that we know is that God sees everything, sent this massive storm. Jonah fesses up. He takes the blame and tells him to throw him. Him overboard, and it says immediately the storm stopped. A massive fish, some called a whale, came and swallowed Jonah, and he was inside for three days and three nights. That's where we are. Now, Rach said to me last night, I said, I need to recap chapter one, and she said, The way you talk is going to take you two minutes, and I did that in about 15 seconds. Yeah, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gracie. So, today we're going to jump back in here. Now, I want to tell you tonight. Jonah thought running from God would solve all his problems, but as you're going to see, it only made them worse. You see, we've all tried to run away from things. We've all tried to move on or out of things that we just don't want to do. I told you um, when we were here three weeks ago that my mom asked me one time to do the laundry to go get the laundry out of the laundromat. We lived in these apart- in this apartment complex. I chose to go across the street to go see my friend. I got back. My mom was not very happy with me. Now, I was kind of stupid because the deal that my mom made with me, if, if I would go get the laundry out of the dryer, every week that we did that, I would get ice cream from the ice cream truck. Now, I don't even know. Are there still ice cream trucks that come around here? They're, they are, but they're real scared. Back in the day, it was like a nice old lady driving it around. Apparently now it's a little bit creepy. But my mom made me a deal. She said, if you help out with the laundry, every time the ice cream truck comes around, you will get to pick out something. You would hear it at the time. I don't know if it's still. It would be like this high pitch, like twinkling. And you would know that the ice cream man was coming or the ice cream lady or the ice cream grandma, whatever she happened to be. And so I was surprised at that time that I chose to do something other than what my mom wanted. Now, it got so bad that my mom was real ticked because here's what was happening. The week that I chose to go to my friend's house instead of going to the laundromat, I had tickets to go to the wrestling match. And I'm not just talking any wrestling match. It was to go see Hulk stinking Hogan. Yes, thank you so much. I was about an 8, 9, 10-year-old kid, and I love, love wrestling so much so that I used to pretend that I was Hulk Hogan. I think we have a picture that we're going to show. This is what I used to be like. Or not. That's how I look right now. You're like, you look exactly the same. There I am. Okay, with all your little comments, calm down. That is how I showed that to Rach on our first date. That's why we've been together for 15 years. He's like, he's all mine. Um, look at that. That lady in the back, that's my grandma. And she has like her head like, oh my gosh, what has happened to my grandson? I'm going to disown him and write him out of the will. But that's exactly what she thought. But you see, my mom got really ticked and she had a conversation with my dad and said, hey, 
he has consequences for this. I don't think he's going to get go. And I'll tell you, I wish I could act like I played that all cool, but I was like in a puddle of tears outside our apartment. I really wanted to go. To make matters worse, I didn't even get to get the ice cream the next day, and I heard that dingling sound of the ice cream truck. I sat on the curb. All my friends started running towards the sound, and I just sat there because I knew my mom was not going to let me go to the wrestling match, and I knew especially she was not going to give me that dollar to go to get ice cream. But the craziest thing was I sat there and I knew better to ask because do you ever have those times with your parents where you know, I'm not even going to ask because I already know what their response is going to be and it's not going to be too pretty. And so I didn't even ask and I was sitting there on the porch and I saw like seven or eight of my friends all run to the ice cream truck. They were getting their favorite kind of things and I just sat there kind of moping until I felt somebody touch the back of my shoulder and I turned around and it was my mom. And she stood there with the dollar. She handed it to me. And she goes, hey, tomorrow's going to be better. And next time I ask you to do something, you're going to do it, right? You see, in that moment, and then the next day, my mom is like, I'm going to let you go to this wrestling. Because I've seen you in your underwear. And that's disgusting. And I don't want you to be in my house. Just kidding. She didn't say that. She's loving. But she let me go. And I always think about that story. Because my mom that day, she showed incredible grace when she didn't really even need to. And I often think about that because how much more does God shower his grace and mercy upon each and every one of us? And I'll tell you, everyone uh, of us in this room, we do things a lot worse than not cleaning out the dryer, not listening to our parents. I think every one of us in here, if we were honest, there's things in our life that even right now we're dealing with. Even right now, we're disobeying our parents or we're disobeying God. You see, the most important lessons I've learned in life are the results of God's overwhelming mercy and grace in my life. And every time I stand on this platform, I always think that God saw something in me and chose me to step into all that he had for me when I totally didn't deserve it. You see, there's... Today, I want to give us three reminders of God's grace from Jonah chapter 2. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to start off in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. So the first reminder of God's grace is, number one, we deserve nothing but condemnation. We deserve nothing but condemnation. You see, a few weeks ago, we talked about how others affect your choices. And not only that, your choices affect others. Because back in Jonah chapter one, if you remember, Jonah was running away from God. And when Jonah ran away from God, it brought a storm that didn't just affect him, but every other person on that ship. Just a reminder that your choices do affect others. And today, I'm just going to be really honest and really vulnerable, and I hope that you listen to what I say, because every time I'm up here, I want you to learn from my mistakes. And I often say, the reason I share from the heart and share some of my story is because I hope you don't make the same mistakes. And even if you do, know that there's a God who loves you that can rain down grace and mercy and compassion upon you each and every step of the way. Because I'll tell you, there are many of us in this room 
And it's an epidemic, I would call it, in terms of what we all look at. In terms of what we look at on our phones and what we look at on our computers, even what we might look at on the TV. You see, back in the day, I'm really old. But back in the day, I had my very first job when I was 15 years old, and I made pizzas at Papa John's Pizza. It was the best job in the world. I ate lots of pizza. I was amazing. I worked my way up. I was like a crew shift manager by the time I was done. It was amazing. Thank you very much. That's a highlight. That'll be on my tombstone one day. Michael Richardson, Papa John's crew shift manager. Thank you so much. But next door, we had this um, magazine shop, and it had chocolates and all kinds of stuff right there. And I would often go there to get magazines, books, candy, all that kind of stuff. Now, back in the day, if we wanted to see inappropriate pictures, inappropriate magazines, guess what we had to do? We had to go into a magazine or a bookstore, and we had to go to the top shelf, and we had to take stuff down off the top shelf. And like a creeper, we had to take and go buy it from the cashier. Very different than what many of us have to do today, because many of us can get inappropriate stuff with just a touch of a button. We can Google a few things. We can go to any sites and we can find it. But can I tell you what happened? Is one day I bought this magazine and I didn't just bring it so I could look at it, so I could go through it. But what I did is I brought it back and I started to share it with all the guys that I worked with. You see, I think about that all the time because the choices that were really bad in my life, they affected other people that were around me. And I'll tell you, at that time, I was going to Christian school. I would tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But my life didn't reflect what I was saying. You see, and some of us are sitting here today, and I wrote this down because, as I said, it's an epidemic. And sometimes, if I'm really honest with you, we think it's a guy's problem. The only guys struggle with it. But I wrote down some statistics. There are 17% of females that would say they are addicted to pornography. Over half of adult women have viewed pornography online. It is not just a guy's problem. It's a every single one of us problem. It's a culture problem. And I say all that to tell you that my choices affect people around me. You see, I often think that because of my mistakes, my sin, what did it do to get people off the right track? How many times did the things that I did cause other people to get off the track and the path that God had for them? You see, just like with Jonah, God may use a storm to wake you up. Because almost three days after that happened, after I started to share this with other people, God said, I'm going to do something to get through to you, to wake you up, to cause you to understand that what you're doing isn't just affecting you, isn't just affecting your soul, isn't it just affecting your life, but it's affecting other people. And about three days later, I was in college at the time. This was much later, and it was something that I struggled with on and on. And I remember my freshman year of college, I was coming home one day. I was carrying my backpack, and I started to have these huge chest pains. I couldn't even breathe. And I went to the emergency room later that night with my parents, and they came to find out that my right lung had collapsed 90% of the way. I was only using 10% of my capacity. And you see, in that time, God started to work on me. You see, I had to walk away from that job. And you see, throughout that time, it was one of the most painful, both figuratively and literally, 
times in my life, I could barely breathe. The doctor said, if you would have let this go on for even overnight, you could have died. And throughout that time, I was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I started to go into this depression state. And I remember one morning, I woke up in the middle of the night about 3 a.m. And I had a hard time sleeping. And in that moment, if I'm honest with you, I hadn't been reading my Bible in weeks. I was so consumed with what I wanted to do and the things of the world. And I happened to open up the drawer next to my bed. And if you've ever been to like a hotel or a hospital, they also have a Bible, a Gideon's Bible usually there. And I remember I was so desperate, so bored that I took out the Bible, just randomly turned it to a place. And here's the verse that I read, Psalm 37, 23 through 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. You see, I read that in the silence of my hospital bed, and I remember thinking to God, like many of us have probably said, God, if you will only get me out of this situation, I will do whatever you want. That's a prayer that many of us often say in our desperate moments. And I remember at that time, and this was, again, 20 years ago, I remember opening up the window late at night. I was at OSF, and I looked out the window, and I prayed that prayer as I was overlooking the city of Peoria. And I'll tell you, as I looked out that window, it overlooked where my office is in the Dream Center. I still think about that every time, that even 20 years ago, God was preparing me, God was developing me, for something that was still to come. And in our desperate moments when we cry out to God, he meets us and he takes us onto a path beyond any we could ever have even expected. You see, all of us are Jonah. All of us deserve to be thrown overboard just like he is in here. All of us are destined for a life in hell. But you see, God loves us too much to leave us there. He believes in each and every one of us. You know, he sent his son to take the punishment for us because he loves us so, so much, which leads us to number two. Number two, we are incapable of saving ourselves. We are incapable of saving ourselves. When I was younger, we went to an amusement park and I went on some bumper boats. And I don't know if you've ever been on bumper boats. They're like my favorite thing ever. I'm a 41-year-old dude and if we go to an amusement park and they have bumper boats, I'm like the first one in line. But I remember my mom said, hey, you cannot go on that. You are too little. And I was like, mom, I got it. Don't worry about it. And so very nervously, she let me go on the bumper boat by myself. And legit, we were 30 seconds into it. The guy kind of pushed me out into this big open kind of pool area. And what started to happen is nobody told me how to drive the bumper boat. So what started to happen is I turned the little wheel thing that they had and I just started going in circles over and over and over and over and over again. And I couldn't stop myself. And I was like, help me. And nobody could help me. And sure enough, this carny, that's the nicest way to say it. This carnival worker came out and I remember watching him as I was going around in circles and he was like something out of Fast and the Furious. He hopped on this bumper boat. He didn't even sit down. He put like his leg on there. He's like, and came out and saved me. And he's like, jump on. And he didn't have very many teeth. Because um, of course he did, not And he's like, jump on. I'll save you. And I was like, dude, no. And he's like, jump on. I'm like, I don't know how to do it. And I'm still like going around in circles. And I'll never forget this. I was like seven years old. And it was like 
Vin Diesel himself. He jumped off the bumper boat, jumped into my boat, yanked it from me, and he's like, here we go. And and got me right back to the dock. Can I tell you, that man was Jesus to me that day. Because I probably still would have been on that bumper boat all these years later, but he jumped out and he saved me. He helped me because I was incapable of saving myself. Listen to the rest of Jonah's story. In verse 4, it says, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. You see, if you look here, the storm nearly killed Jonah. The whale nearly digested him. But even in that moment, but you, O Lord, snatched me from the jaws of death. You see, Jonah, in that moment, he was helpless, but not hopeless. You see, if I was in the belly of the whale, I would not last three nights in a whale because I do not like being dirty, I do not like being sweaty, and I do not like having people's phlegm all over me. It's just not my thing. Like when kids, listen, we were at, um, we were at the Warriors game like a week ago, and, and my Ben, he was little, but he's a little chunky, um, he loves to eat. And so we bought him some snacks on the way there, and he was just like eating snacks, and I like turned around and I was like, Dude, slow down on the snacks. And he's like, I'm fine, Dad. He was like eating Doritos like about a handful. And I go, dude, slow down. And then we kind of had a little sip. Went to Ikea and got some snacks there because that's what all dads do. We go to Ikea. Um, and so we got some snacks. And then we got to the game. And he's like, I want a pretzel. I'm like, okay, dude. And then he's like, when can I get the cotton candy? And I was like, okay. At halftime, we'll go downstairs. We'll get the cotton candy. It'll be great. Eating cotton candy. I'm telling you, the kid had it all over his face. He was like yelling for Stephen Curry with like sticky fingers. It was disgusting. We get home that night at like five o'clock in the morning. He wakes up raped. She's and she crawls into bed and she goes, "What did he have to eat last night that was red?" Oh, that was cotton candy. She's like, it's all over the place. See, I'm terrible. Like, there's sometimes I'm going to admit in front of all of you, she already knows this is true. There are sometimes where you hear your kids throwing up and you just pretend that you don't hear it. Like, you just pretend that you're asleep. Like, she's like, did you hear Ella in the middle of the night throwing up? No, I had no idea. Totally was awake the whole time. Because I don't do well with disgustingness. So if I was Jonah and I was in this whale... The last thing I would do was hold out hope, thinking that something good was going to come. But that's exactly what he did. Here's what hope is. An expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. He was holding out hope that something would still happen, that God would still save him, that he would come through. Let me ask you a question nine. Have you lost hope? Because again, in, this, in a room this size, there are many of us that are going through a plethora of things. There's so much stuff that's going on in our life. And some of us come in here every single Wednesday night and life is good. Things are going well. I come in with a smile on my face. But some of us, if we're honest, life kind of stinks right now. And we might come in with a smile on our face, but it's kind of plastered on there. We fake our way through that. Can I be honest with you? Just like with Jonah, 
he still had hope in the most hopeless of situations. As I was preparing for this, I, I've been reading different passages of the Bible each morning when I wake up, and I came across this passage in Psalm, which is kind of like a roller coaster of a passage. And as I read this, you're going to see David is, is telling this Psalm, but it's like the highs of highs and the lowest of lows. Listen to this. In Psalm chapter 42, five, verse 5 through 11, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Hi, I'll put my hope. Listen to what happens. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar, sorry, excuse me. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pulls, pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Did you catch that? He went from one extreme to the next within the same verse. And when I read that, I was like, what is the deal with David? But if I'm honest with you, can I tell you, I've had days exactly like that, where you're so on fire, God is great, he's amazing, until you get a phone call that you don't like, or you have a falling out with a friend, or the plans that you thought you had for your life start to fall apart. I've been there. I can't shade David in anything he does, because he wrote about half of the book of Psalms, and throughout it, you'll see him wrestle with high highs and low lows. We're trying to figure out who God is and whether or not he can put his hope in God. I don't know if you've ever hoped for something. I don't know if you've hoped for great things. I don't know if you've hoped for piddly things. I remember one year for Christmas, I really, really wanted some headphones. And I remember I put it on my Christmas list. I wanted these headphones because I had something they called a disc man. And a disc man was like an old school iPod. And what it was, you would put a compact disc. I don't know if you're familiar with that device, but you would put a CD in here and you would play it and it was amazing. And so I had this disc man and I wanted these headphones. And I said to my grandma, she's like, what would you like? The grandma that was actually in that picture, and I said, no more underwear. Um, she goes, what would you like? And I said, I want these headphones. I showed her in a catalog. This is exactly what I want. I circled them. I starred them. Every time I saw her, I go, don't forget my headphones. Don't forget my headphones. And she's like, she never really answered. And so here's what happened. We always went to my grandma's house on Christmas Eve. I saw a few gifts there waiting for me. And the last one that was there was just the shape of the headphone box. And I knew it. And I just waited. And we had to eat pizza. But the whole time I was watching below the Christmas tree, I wanted to open that box. And we finally got to the time. I opened up the first gift, the second gift, the third gift. We got to the fourth gift. Here comes my headphones. I was so excited. I sat down, I was acting like, oh man, how am I going to act surprised from this? I opened it up, I took it out. It was not headphones, it was a stinking gingerbread house. That was, I, listen, I should have gotten an Academy Award for my performance that Christmas Eve because I was like, oh, and you, you can all listen. I've said this before. You can always tell when I'm like lying about something because my voice will go like seven octaves higher. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I've always wanted. 
I hate gingerbread till this day. But I remember every year I fell into this trap. Every year I would tell my grandma what I want. And every year I would go in with hope that I was going to get what I wanted. And every single year I would come out disappointed. I wanted tickets to go to a basketball game. I thought I was going to get them. And it was a pair of snow boots. There is no 12-year-old kid that wants a pair of snow boots for Christmas. You might as well just divorce your grandparents and say, sayonara. Move to Florida. I don't care if I ever see you again. Do not give me snow boots. But I think we've all been there. You see, I've met too many people that have lost hope. When things don't work on their timetable, I was just with somebody just a couple of weeks ago. And they were in my office. And with tears streaming down their face, they were saying, this is not the life that I thought I was going to live. Everything I've hoped for, everything i prayed for, none of it's happened. I've lost hope. All my relationships fall apart. The job that I thought I wanted never came. People aren't even being very nice to me. I don't even like to wake up in the morning. You see, even throughout that, that's where Jonah was. Jonah felt that. But even throughout that, he remained hopeful. This was not the path that he ever thought his life was going to be. Point number three, God has saved us in spite of our sin. God has saved us in spite of our sin. Let's see how this chapter ends. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Listen to the last one. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. You see, when I read this passage, I often have read it as God sent a fish to swallow him. Almost to to kill him, if you will. But as I was preparing for this message, I saw it a little bit different. You see, I think God provided a fish for Jonah. Not to pull him to his death, but to push him into his destiny. You see, spoiler alert, Jonah lives. This wasn't the end of his story, but God was getting ready to write his next chapter that we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. Can I tell you, there's so many times where I look back on my life where I thought I was being devoured, but really I was being developed. In those hard times, in those moments, that God was preparing me for something next. You see, I thought I was drowning, but really he was just drawing me back to him. And you see that story that I shared early on. I think sometimes you have to go through those storms, like I said a few weeks ago, for God to wake you up. Because the path that I was going on, the choices that I were making, were taking me farther and farther and farther from God's plan for my life. You see, a few weeks ago I talked to you about how as a young kid I went to school and there was these these birds that were hatching. And, and every, every day, every class would come and look at these beautiful bird eggs. And I made the mistake one day when nobody was looking, I went and picked one up and it started to crack in my hand and I put it back and I went and hid in the baptismal. Remember that story if you're here? Well, and they were looking for me. They're like, there's Richardson. They were chasing me all around the school. But here's what happened. You thought that was the end of the story, but we thought that those birds would never 
come to life. We thought nothing would ever happen, that they were destroyed. But what started to happen a few days later, after everybody had given up on anything happening with them, I remember a little girl yelling, the birds are hatching, the birds are hatching. And I remember her class went and looked. And the birds started to break through from the shell. The beak started to come through. And before you knew it, these fully formed birds that we thought were destroyed were still stepping into their next act, the next step of their life. And I think that's so true for some of us. For many of us, other people have written us off or maybe even you have written off yourself where God's just saying, hey, I'm not done with you yet. I'm still developing you. I'm still getting ready. You see, you may think you're destroyed, but can I tell you, you're really still being developed. One of my favorite quotes when I was preparing for this was from a lady named J.K. Rowling. And I, I probably can't even say her name because she wrote all the Harry Potter books and we're not supposed to say Harry Potter in church, but I just did it. Oh my gosh, so some of you are totally hardcore judging me right now. But I love this quote of hers. Here's what she was saying. Because in J.K. Rowling, she kind of started writing Harry Potter books as a last resort. She had no money whatsoever. She had a young child. She was going through a divorce. And she just kind of did it as a fluke. And here's what she said. I failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded. I was jobless, a single parent, and poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. But I began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might not have ever found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believed I truly belonged. My success was built on my failures. You see, I wrote down, to get to the top, we often have to sink to the bottom to fully experience God's grace. You have to go through some things. You see, only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when you've exhausted all your options, are you finally able to open up yourself to fully depending on God? Because I know that's where I've been. You never realize Jesus is all you need until you realize that Jesus is all you have. And some of us have been in situations where everything has fallen apart. Relationships, families, the plans that you have for school, college, it's all fallen apart. And I've been in that situation where everything, when I look around me, the only thing I have left to cling to is Jesus. And I'll tell you, every single time, he has sustained me, he has brought me through, he has taken me on a path that I could never have imagined for myself. You see, a verse that we all know is John 3.16, but if you continue to read on to John 3.17, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see, God created you to have a relationship with him. And I often say, God's not here to lecture you about your past, but to love you into your future. And I've seen that time and time again in my life, that sometimes we have to go through hard things, just like Jonah. We have to go through stuff that doesn't make much sense, and sometimes we lose all hope. But can I tell you, if you can hold tight and keep hope in that God has a bigger plan, can I tell you, he will start to spit you into your destiny. He will start to show you exactly what he has for you. 
And some of us today think, man, I'm disqualified from God doing anything in my life because I've made too many mistakes. He's given me too many chances. His grace has run out. I will tell you again and again until every last breath that I have, if God can use someone like me in a position like this, there is surely more chances for you. Because if you knew my entire story, you would say that is the last person that should ever be pastoring anything. And I would totally agree with you. Because you see, you may have run away from God, but can I tell you, God's grace is running towards you even faster. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And no matter what you stumble through or even what you're living in right now and the crap that you're dealing with, can I tell you, God still loves you. God still has a plan. And even in the midst of your storm, even when it feels like, man, I'm in the midst of the belly of the whale, God still loves you. And so tonight, that's my challenge to you. That the same God who created you, he wants to have a relationship with you. And some of you are in here and maybe you've heard that all the time again and again. But you've never fully put your life into Jesus' hands. I'm going to give you the opportunity because I don't ever want to miss a moment. Because I think God moves in moments like this where he says, hey, I don't care what you've done. I still love you. I still have a plan for you. And maybe you're someone like me and God has given you chance after chance after chance. And maybe tonight you just say, hey God, I'm giving it back to you. I know I've done this. I know I've done this 17 other times, but tonight, God, I'm giving my life over to you. Will you just bow your head with me and pray? Dear God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for every single person that's come tonight, that they're not here by accident, that you would just have a plan for their lives, God. And even when things get overwhelming, when things get scary, when it feels like the end of the road is just around the corner, God, I pray that you would help them not to lose hope, that you're a God who loves us in spite of us. And so tonight, God, I want to open it up for each and every one of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've gone through, that you still love us and you still have a plan and a future our lives with your eyes closed tonight if that's you and you said Michael I've never given my life to Jesus or tonight I just need to hand my life back over because I've tried to do it all by myself I've tried to go in the opposite direction I've tried to run away from what God has for me but tonight I just want to put my life back in his hands I'm not going to make you stand I'm not going to make you raise your hand but in your head I just want you to repeat after me and mean this you're entering into a relationship with Jesus for the first time or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him just repeat after me in your head you don't have to say it out loud dear God I know I'm a sinner but tonight I'm putting my life in your hands please take away my sins and all the wrong that I've done and God I'm giving my life over to you I'm not going to try to be in charge of my own anymore but I trust that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. Come into my heart and help me step into the future that you have for me in your name.